Well, I came across some crazy fears that, that people have this week. There is ophidiophobia. That's like the fear of snakes. And I know a lot of people have that fear of reptiles. There's glossophobia. It's the fear of speaking in front of people. And uh, supposedly that's the number one fear that people have is kind of their greatest fear of being in front of people. Cholrophobia is the fear of clowns. Now, I know a lot of people have that, particularly the creepy clowns. Then there's omlophobia, and that's the fear, get this, that's the fear of your navel, your belly button. I don't know if people are more afraid of an innie or an outie, but people can have a fear of that. And then there's windbagophobia, which it's the fear of long sermons. So I know many of you, maybe you start the service and you kind of have that fear. But fear is around us. Fear is just something that almost kind of weirdly feels natural. It's kind of the backdrop of our life right now. People have some great fears, fears that banks are going to collapse, fear of a recession, fear of shortage of food, fear of uh, money going missing, fear of losing a job, fear of a failure. There's a, a fear of pandemic, fear of uh, global catastrophes. And you know what? Fear is not something we have to think about. It just comes naturally. Courage, on the other hand, is something we have to kind of almost like drum up, but, uh, kind of gather our courage, get our courage. And courage is sometimes hard. Uh, as a teen boy, I remember it was hard to be courageous and ask a girl out because I was afraid that they were going to reject me. It's courage sometimes is needed when we are going to say something that feels truthful, but maybe it's uncomfortable or unpopular, and are people going to reject us? And I look at my life, and I would say the major mistakes in the times I find myself most in trouble are the times when I don't have courage. And maybe that's you. And today we just want to look at courage. And you may have to make a courageous decision, a, a, a courageous conversation with someone. Maybe you've got to take a courageous step of faith. And we're going to look today at the life of Esther and how she was brought to a point of courage. And we're going to see that the fingerprints of God are often seen through the courageous steps that we make. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there, you can follow along on the screen. Esther chapter 4. And as we get to this point in chapter 4, just let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, chapter 1, it starts out with King Xerxes, who was the king of the Persian Empire around 480 or so BC. And he wants to show off his wealth. He has a six-month party. He wants his beautiful wife Vashti to parade in front of all these people, particularly when he's drunk and they're drunk. She refuses. He gets upset. He banishes her and tells everybody, all the women have now got to obey their husbands. In chapter 2, we see that Xerxes maybe regrets this. He's nostalgic for his wife and his advisors don't know what to do, so they invite a big beauty contest, so to speak. They gather up in kind of an ancient sex trafficking ring, 400 of the most beautiful women. They spend a year getting ready. One of those women is Esther. She's a Jew, but Mordecai, her cousin, encourages her not to expose who she really is. And she ends up being the king's favorite, and she becomes the queen. And then in chapter 3, we kind of get a close-up of Mordecai. And Mordecai was the cousin of Esther, who is now the queen. He had adopted her, basically raised her. 
He seems to be very Jewish, but there is a nemesis, an enemy as Haman, who is one of the most influential people in Persia. Haman, in his ego, wants everyone to bow down, wants to be very king-like, and Mordecai refuses to bow. And Haman gets offended at this. In fact, he's very angry. And Haman does what we often do, is we get fixated right, on a person or a situation. And for some reason, instead of thinking of all these other people who are bowing down to him, he can't get Mordecai out of his head. And because Mordecai still won't bow and still won't bow, we're not sure why, but because he won't bow down, Haman says, well, all the people like Mordecai are bad. And he discovers that Mordecai is a Jew. And then he says, we want all the Jewish people eliminated. And so there is now an edict that goes throughout all the Persian Empire that all the Jewish people are to be killed on a very particular day, that the rest of the Persian Empire can plunder them, kill them, destroy them, and, and try to get rid of them. And at the end of chapter 3, we see the Jewish people in the Persian Empire perplexed. How is this going to happen? What is going to happen to them? But we know that in the midst of this story, that there is placed as the queen a Jewess. And will she have the courage to do something? And what we see in chapter 4 is just an expose, a little bit of what courage is. And the first thing we learn is that many times God places you and I in positions where we need courage. That Sometimes we think, oh, if I'm following God, everything's going to be easy. No, there are times that God places you and I in a position of courage. And we see chapter 4, it opens up in verse 1. It says, When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, wailing, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. And when Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show Esther and explain it to her, and he told her to instruct her to go right into the king's presence and bow for the saving and the release of the Jewish people. And so here is Mordecai. He hears this edict. He knows that on a certain day that all the Jewish people are to be annihilated. And notice what he does. He has courage to show his true feelings. He's weeping. He's mourning. He's grieving. And he puts on sackcloth, ashes. He outwardly demonstrates what inwardly he feels. He goes through the city of Susa, right to the very gate of the palace, but he doesn't go into the palace because you can't be sad in the palace. The palace was a place to be happy. You couldn't show your real feelings. You had to be uh, upright and bubbly, and the king didn't want to see anyone discouraged around. So he just stayed outside. 
And what I appreciate is that Mordecai is honest with his feelings. I don't think in our culture today, we know how to grieve well. And I think Mordecai has courage to be true to his feelings. You look in the Old Testament, you see that Joseph grieved for his father 70 days when his dad died. You look at the Psalms, and many times we think of those as just happy uh, songs, but many times there's verses about grieving and wailing and being honest. And sometimes we need to be courageous just to be honest. Why? To be truthful, right? That I think sometimes one of the reasons we struggle emotionally is that, is that we feel a dualism in our life, that we have to outwardly appear one way but can't be honest in another. And, and that creates a dissonance that's not healthy for us. And David in the psalm shows us, Mordecai here shows us, to be honest and courageously authentic with how we feel. Secondly, God grieves. In the book of Genesis said one time, God grieved that he made humans. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. Jesus grieved when he saw the pain of grief when his friend Lazarus died. And when we're honest, we represent and are walking in the image of God. And what grief does is it allows us to be a community together and people invited in. And so here is Mordecai courageously grieving. Esther finds out, some people go and say, hey, you wanna know that Mordecai is there. Somehow, the people in the palace knew there was a connection between Mordecai and, and Esther. Mordecai, as we understand, was, was giving information to Esther already, but she gets wind that Mordecai is grieving and she's grieved. And sometimes we have to remember that not everybody knows all the information, that people in positions even of authority and influence don't always know everything that's going on. And it would seem here that Esther didn't know everything that was going on. And so she sees Mordecai grieving and, and she's distressed. Could be for a couple reasons. One is that she doesn't want Mordecai to be true and authentic. I mean, we do that sometimes when someone's grieving. What do we say? Oh, don't cry or don't worry about it or it'll be okay. We want, don't want people to grieve. We don't know how to grieve well with people. And she could have been saying, hey, give him some clothes, let him dress up, give him a new pair of pants and a shirt and, and let him be okay. When she's giving him the clothes, it could also be that she is saying, hey, Mordecai, come and talk to me. Like, come and let's have a conversation. I'm, I'm grieved because you're bothered. I want to know what's going on. And here's some clothes so that you can actually come in to the palace. But Mordecai rejects them. He's not ready to kind of enter into a, a more personal conversation with Esther at this point. Instead, he says, hey, Esther, there's something going on that you don't know about. And he says, here's the edict that all the Jewish people are to be destroyed, and I want you to go to the king. And this is your courageous moment to get help for your people. Would you do that? And what we see here is that sometimes God calls you and I to be courageous. Mordecai had to be courageous with his emotions. Esther is now in a position where she needs to be courageous about what is happening. She's got to expose herself as her Jewish heritage. She's got to go to the king, her husband. She's got to plead for her people, and she's got to step up in a moment of courage. And sometimes we don't think 
that God's will is for us to be in difficult situations where we have to be courageous, right? We think, oh, if I'm walking with God, if I'm a spiritual person, everything's going to be okay. No, there's no going to be no trouble. The, the waters are just going to part. I'm going to be able to walk on water. I'm not going to have to be afraid because God's going to be there. But what we see in Scripture is that God sometimes invites us to a place where our next step of spiritual growth, our next step of following Him, is to to take a courageous step, to make a courageous decision. And this is why, friends, we need to be part of a life group. This is why we need a community of people around us who can encourage us to do that. And I wouldn't be surprised this morning, right, that you are here watching, or maybe later on that you're listening, and God has been speaking into your soul about something you need to do. Maybe it's a difficult conversation you have to have with a spouse or a family member. Maybe it's a difficult conversation with your boss. Maybe God is calling you into a different career or a different path. Maybe he's he's telling you that you have to uh, start this ministry. Maybe he's telling you to stop doing something and that's hard for you. And, And we sometimes think, well, God can't be in it. If I've got to be courageous, God can't be in it. But God brings us to places, just like Esther, where courage is what is necessary. And we see this all throughout Scripture, and that God calls us not just in spiritual decisions for courage, but God calls us in all places of life, in all situations. God puts you where you are now, and he may be inviting you to take a courageous step. And what I appreciate about the story of Esther is that Esther is surrounded by two other books in the Bible. It's by Esther and Nehemiah. And Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther follow about between four to 500 BC what the experience of the Jewish people was in Babylon, particularly as they come back to Jerusalem and as they reform their nation. Prior to 500 BC, they've been scattered. They're living uh, millions of Jews across the Babylonian Empire, and that God is bringing them back. And we see that God uses different people. God used Ezra. Ezra was a priest. Ezra was a spiritual leader. He calls them back and restores the worship of God to the Jewish people. He uses Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a civil servant. He was the cupbearer to the king. He comes and rebuilds the walls rebuilds the infrastructure. And here we have Esther, who's the queen, who's a ruler, who's got governing authority, so to speak, and he uses her to safeguard the Jewish people. And God uses all of them. And this is why I think sometimes the scripture encourages us to pray for our leaders, pray for the courage of our leaders, that they would have information, they would know what's going on, and that they would be courageous following God. And you sometimes we're like, oh, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not, a reli- you know, I'm not in a religious work, I'm, I'm a civil servant, I'm in government, I am doing something. We need to pray for one another in the difficult situations we are, that we would, wherever we are, have courage and live with courage. And we need to pray, I think, that people would take government positions, they would work in government, they would run for office, that we need to pray that people would have strength and courage and bravery to live for God, even in very complicated and important positions. So what we see here with us first is God calls you and I sometimes to places where we need courage. If you've got to make a courageous decision, it's not that God has abandoned you. He's brought you to this point. Secondly, what we're going to see is that sometimes 
in order to make a courageous decision, we have to do it still in fear. That we sometimes confuse courage with being fearless. That we think, oh, if I don't uh, have fear, then that's courage. And I'm courageous if I'm not doing something and yet still feel afraid about it. I love Elizabeth Elliot. She gives this quote. She says, sometimes fear does not subside and one must choose to do things afraid that God gives us situations, puts us in those situations. The fear doesn't subside. We don't say, oh, I can do that. But sometimes we have to follow in obedience, even afraid. And this is what happens with Esther in verse 9. It says, Hathak went back, reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. And then Esther instructed him, well, say to Mordecai, look, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they'll be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to the king. And when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer, don't think that just because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews, well, it will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, Esther, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So Esther gets word through Hethik that Mordecai says, hey, Esther, now this is time for courage. You got to go to the king. You got to plead for the people. You got to help us. It's up to you. And what does Esther do? Esther says, oh, I can't do that. Like, I don't have courage to do that. Like, do you know what that costs? Like, that's, you can't ask me that, Mordecai. And she says, Mordecai, don't you know the law of the Persians? And we said, once a law in Persia was made, it can't be changed. And the law of the Persians is that you just can't go on a whim and go and approach the king. Like, you have to be invited. You have to be there. And if you just go and approach him, there's a good chance that you'll be killed. And and look what happened, like, uh, with... uh, Vashti, like she didn't do do what the king says. She broke the law. And what happened? Vashti vanished. And so I don't know if I can do that. And what Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that around the throne of, of Xerxes and the other Persian kings, there were people there with axes. And they stood there with axes. And if you disobeyed the king, if you approached inappropriately, off with your head. And so Vashti says, hey, this is too dangerous for me. And besides, notice she said, it's been 30 days since I've been invited by the king. Now, why does she say that? Because she's one of many, probably women and concubines and wives, that the king has. Uh, we saw in chapter 2, he, he liked what was happening. And uh, like that beauty contest, probably had another. There's all these women. She said, it's been a month. Like, the king hasn't called me. Like, maybe I'm not his favorite anymore. Maybe he's done with me. Maybe there's another uh, a new kind of shiny object he's intrigued with. Like, I, I don't have that great of a relationship with him. That's what she's saying. And it would have been easy for Mordecai, right, to say, hey, I'm sorry, Esther. Like, I, I didn't realize what I was asking. I don't want to put you in danger. Mordecai doesn't do that. He says, Esther, now's the time for courage. Like, now's the time to kind of step up. And I think all of us need Mordecai's in our life who encourage us. And that's what encouragement really is. It is giving us what courage. 
It's helping us do the right thing and the obedient thing and the faithful thing for God. And Mordecai, sometimes I think he's a bit of a picture of the Holy Spirit, like working and directing in our lives. But we all need a Mordecai. My wife's a Mordecai to me sometimes. She's like, hey, Terry, like, step up. This is courage. This is what we can do. Who does that for you? Who is your Mordecai's in your life that's give you the courage to do the right thing? And Mordecai says, Esther, three things. He kind of talks to her about three things in kind of giving a response back. He says, first of all, like doing nothing isn't an option, right? Not being courageous isn't an option. And not being courageous is going to give you to the same problem. And, you know, sometimes this is what happens. Oh, there's courage to take that step. He's saying you got to have courage to face the consequences of not doing anything because the, the end result could potentially be the same. You could go to the king and you would die because he didn't call you, but you're going to die anyway. Don't you think, Esther, he says, that just because you're in the palace, you're going to escape this. Like you are a Jewess, that this is going to happen to you. Your life is in danger. And so this is always a good word for us because sometimes we think, oh, I don't have the courage. I can't do that. But there's consequences of not having courage. Secondly, he says, now, listen, Esther, God's going to spare us anyway. God's got a way to spare us. So if it's not you, it's going to be someone else. And here we see, I think, a little glimpse into Mordecai's faith. As we've said in Esther, God's not named at all, but we get a glimpse of their spiritual life. And here is one. Mordecai says what? The Jewish people are going to be saved. God's going to spare us. He doesn't use God's name, but he says we're going to be spared. Now, how could he say that? Where does Mordecai's faith come from? It's because of his faith in the covenant, the promises that God has made. And when you look throughout Old Testament, in Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve, makes them sinless. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin, and there's a promise, what? Of a Savior. There's a promise of a Savior who's going to come. We get to Abraham in Genesis 15, and we see the promise is going to come through Abraham's descendants. We get to the book of Exodus. We see that the promise is coming through Abraham's descendants in the nation of Israel, that God has brought Israel together, created Israel. Why? So that the Savior could come. And the enemy was always trying in the Old Testament, what? To destroy the Jewish people. Because if Satan could destroy the Jewish people, then there would be no Savior. And here is Mordecai. He says, they're trying, the enemy is trying to destroy us, but the Savior is going to come from the Jewish people. And so I know, Esther, God's going to do something. And this is often where courage, here we see a bit of Mordecai's courage, like he's encouraging Esther. Why? Because God's promises is true. God's going to come through. God is going to be faithful to who he is. And when we struggle with courage, this is one thing we need to remember, the promises, the truths of who God is. Read the Psalms. Read who God is. Read the Gospels. Understand who Jesus is, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and be encouraged by those. And then he gives what could be, by some standards, the pinnacle of the book of Esther. He says, who knows, Esther? Who knows that you have not been brought to this place for such a time as this? That this, even though he doesn't name God, is what God is doing. God has you here, Esther, for this. And notice here, 
Mordecai is referring again, I think, to God's grace. Esther, this is not you. This is not, oh, you're so beautiful, or you're so smart, or you're so great. God's favor and grace has been with you. And notice the passive tense. You have been brought. It's not like you entered and you did this, but you have been brought, assuming by God, for this, for this moment, to be here. This is your time to act. And here we see in our graphic on a couple places for such a time as this. Everything in the story of Esther is embedded in our graphic. And what we see here that oftentimes God's plans and purposes for us are embedded in just obedience and encourage. Right? Sometimes we think, oh, what does God want? What am I going to do? How do I pursue God's purpose? What is God's plans for me? How do I do those and, and get ready for those? What we often see in Scripture, that God's great plans and purposes are just the next step of obedience. David didn't go out to visit his brothers one day thinking, hey, I'm going to slay a giant. But he goes and he can't stand anymore when he sees Goliath taunting the Jewish people. And so he takes a step of obedience. Someone has to deal with that. Ruth never intended to be the great-grandmother of, uh, of the greatest king of, of Israel, David, but she just obeyed. She saw Naomi, her mother-in-law, impoverished. She went to help her, was caring and supportive of her, was doing what she could to support her, and, and God brought her into her place. And so, friends, sometimes we're like, get paralyzed. We're like, what does God want? What does God want? God's plans for us are one step of courage away. And this is what sometimes is difficult because how do we make those courageous decisions? And you look at Esther, right? And, and she's often like us, right? She's in an uncomfortable place. She's in a, an environment that's not supportive of her. She's got a high stakes decision to make. And yet she may be not be that close to God. She's not in the synagogue, she's not worshiping. We don't really know what her spiritual walk has been. And how do you do that? How do you make a decision? How do you take a step of courage when the stakes are high, you don't feel that supported, and maybe God feels far away? And oftentimes, that's where we find ourselves. And so what does Esther do? How do you make a decision? Well, here's the decision. For Esther, it was self-sacrifice, plus being other-centered brought her into a courageous decision. Self-sacrifice plus being other-centered brought her into a courageous decision, which is so different from what we often think, right? When we've got to make a decision, we go, oh, how do others sacrifice? What does this mean for me, and how can I make good on it? What do it cause others to be sacrificed? What's going to be good for me? And that's going to be what my decision is. Esther is going to do the complete opposite. It's because it's other-centered, uh, her or other-centered. What the nation of Israel needs, what her people need, and it's self-sacrifice. I've got to go and do this, even, even if it means my death, even if it means that I'm banished, even if it means that I'm going to vanish like the Vashti did. I'm going to do that. And friends, here's what we see throughout Scripture. This is the call of Jesus, right, to us in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. If anyone wants to come, 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross. And that courage often means that we need to self-sacrifice in order for the benefit of others. But this is so hard because we live in a world where we want something, right? We, if, we, if we, something's gonna cost, we want big gain. And a lot of times people come to me and, and the reason they're most disappointed often in God is because they've done something, they've sacrificed, they've been other-centered, or they've done something, and it's like, well, God didn't come through. God didn't give me the big reward that I wanted, that God didn't do that. And uh, many times we see like prayer or obedience, like going through the drive-through at Wendy's that we wanna make our order, pay our money, uh, do our thing, and, and we want the frosty at the end. We want something good. And here's what we see in Esther, that often God will work, but it's in his own time. But that courage means that we need to sacrifice and be other-centered. And you may be having a decision. It may be a struggle and thinking, what am I going to do? What is the sacrifice that you're going to make that's other-centered, that's in obedience to God? And that God calls us at times to do that fearlessly. It doesn't mean that the fear goes away. It doesn't mean that we're not afraid. It doesn't mean that they're not butterflies in our stomach. Self-sacrifice and being other-centered, there's a lot of fear and trepidation. But watch how God works and his fingerprints in behind the scenes. And this is where we see, friends, Jesus. And that when we look at the book of Esther, remember, Esther's not the hero. Jesus is the hero. God is the hero. And this, my friends, is the true essence of the gospel. That Jesus, what did he do? He stepped down from his throne. He gave everything up. He risked everything to come to live life, right, as a servant and to become obedient, what? Obedient unto death. And, and here at Rester, we're going to see in this, the last verse of this chapter says, I'm going to do this. If I perish, I perish. Like, if I perish, I perish. And here's Jesus. He steps out of the throat, and he perished. He said, if I perish, I perish. He was willing to risk his life for us. And this is the gospel. And why does God call us to courage? Where do we find the strength to be courageous? It's in what Jesus did, the same Jesus who stepped from heaven, who was obedient to death, who said courageously, if I perish, I perish, is the Jesus in us. And we in our own self may not be courageous enough to do something. We may not have it in us to do something, but the grace of Jesus, the Jesus who lives in us, we can trust him to give us courage. And so what does Esther do? She says that she will do this, and we fear that courage then is not only what it takes to stand up, but sometimes courage is what it takes to sit and listen to God. Here's how the chapter ends. It says, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or night. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And Mordecai went and did all those things. And so here, what does Esther do? She's got courage. She's like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to the king. I'm willing to do it, but I'm also willing to sit and listen. Before she does anything, she says, I'm going to fast and pray for three days. I'm going to fast and pray for three days. And so this is, again, 
a sign of just her faith, a sign of her trust in God. This is how we're beginning to see her step up and maybe grow again in her spiritual life and not just pray, but I'm going to fast. I'm not going to eat. And we see throughout Scripture that when people were intent in their prayer, when they're serious about their prayer, they add fasting. They say, God, I'm more hungry for you to work. I'm hungry for you to answer this prayer than I am for food. God, the most important thing right now is not my sustenance, but you coming and working in my situation. And Esther does this. She fasts. She prays. And and maybe that's for for you to stand up and, and make a decision. You need to have the courage to sit and listen and wait on God. What is God saying? And notice she goes and she says, I'm going to do this. Now, Mordecai, you go and you get people to do this. You get the other people to fast and pray for three days for me. I can't just do this alone. We need God to be working together. And it's in this moment, friends, we see a difference in Esther. She's called Queen, Queen Esther 14 times. Only one time before this moment, 13 times is after this moment. It's almost like in this, when she says, I'm willing to stand up, I'm I'm willing to walk in courage, then she's the queen and she's kind of the royal self. But up until this point, she has always done what? She's always listened to Mordecai. Now what? Mordecai is listening to her. She's saying, okay, Mordecai, this is what you need to do. And courage always inspires others to be courageous. Real courage in our life inspires others to walk and be encouraged. And this is what Esther does. She found herself in a place where courage was needed. She realized she needed to act, even though she had to do it with still fearful feelings in her. And she was courageous enough to sit and listen to God before she walked. And I don't know what God is calling you to do, but God, I'm sure, has called all of us to make some courageous decisions. A few weeks ago, we were talking with Young Do. He's one of our missionaries. He's got a hip-hop ministry here at Bayview on, on Monday nights. And we were listening to his story about how he came to be involved with his ministry and, and what he did. And as we were listening to his story, we thought, this is exactly like Esther, the fingerprints of God are all over it and what God has done. And I hope you are as inspired by his story as I was.